Good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you're here. And for those of you who are also here online, we are glad that you are here as well. Um, if you have any questions or prayer requests, we have some hosts that would love to talk to you. All you have to do is click on prayer request, and they will you'll go into a private chat with our host. So um, for our call to worship, if you are able, please stand with us, and um, I will read from Philippians. It says in Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11, God has highly exalt, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
Peace to the 
but not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. From Revelations 5.13, it says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever Amen. Let's sing with the angels in heaven and let him know how much we love him and we thank him.
Father, we thank you so much for sending us Jesus to save us and forgive us of our sins. It's just, I don't know, there's not even enough words to thank you. So please accept our praise and know that we love you and we want to worship you just like the angels in heaven. Lord, thank you for this church and thank you for everyone here. I just lift up everyone now and I pray that you will speak to us today as we continue with our worship and we hear your word. Lord, open our hearts and our minds. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors. If you're visiting with us, I'd uh, invite you to fill out one of our connection cards. If you're watching online on the uh, live link there, they have a co- digital one that you can fill out. You can also fill out the ones in person that are out in the foyer, or you can simply text here to the 844-238-7507 number. And um, speaking of connecting, we have our uh, connections workshop coming up, our starting point I could have the next slide, please. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So we have a two-week workshop, you know, starting on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at the end of July, and then there's another offering at the end of August. And so uh, Pastor Rich has given you guys a personal invitation. If you're either new to the church or it's something where you're just looking to connect a bit better, um, consider signing up for one of those. You can uh, drop Rich an email, or you can go ahead and sign up online, or you can simply, again, text CONNECT to that 844 number. Um, coming up this week at Springbrook, we have the men's power-up gathering on Monday. That's actually tomorrow. So men, if you don't mind, please come and you know, uh, get involved with that. That's at 645 tomorrow. I was actually able to get involved with the uh, leader of this, and he's got some exciting things coming up and uh, planned over the next coming months. So definitely something that you want to partake in if you're able. And then lastly, um, if we don't mind, can we just give a hand for the cutting and landscaping team? So John Manzella and the crew there keeping the place you know, looking very nice, and uh, I'm sure we're all appreciative of the fruits of their efforts. And so um, if you're looking to get involved in something like this or in another area and you need a place to serve, simply go ahead and you know, text SERVE to that 844 number, and then we'll go ahead and connect with you and try and find a place in which you can serve. So uh, thank you very much, and Pastor Tim will be out in a moment. There's a lot of things that we face that can be really confusing, and because they're confusing, we can sometimes find ourselves shaken or fearful because of them. And so it helps when we're facing something, perhaps for the very first time, if 
we are able to get a little bit of perspective on what's happening. It doesn't necessarily make what we're going through any easier, uh, but it helps us to at least understand the purpose or have some sense of perspective. I've got to tell you, I hate roller coasters. I don't understand why anybody would subject themselves to that. But one of the things you're probably aware of if you've ever had the misfortune of going on one of these things is that, that, that what they love to do is they love to take you to the highest point and then stop the roller coaster. So you're kind of peering over the edge. Now, of course, if you are, are, are not familiar with them and you're on it for the very first time and you get all the way to the top and the thing stops, you might be tempted at first to panic you should probably be panicking because you're about to rush downhill at a very high rate of speed. But you might be tempted to panic because maybe you think it's broken down. But understanding that that's part of the ride experience helps you uh, to be able to, 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 to filter that. So you're no longer afraid of, oh, this thing has broken down. Now it is merely that sense of preparing for that rush of adrenaline. I remember the first time that I, uh, um, that I experienced landing in a plane and then all of a sudden the entire plane filling with what looked like smoke. You do not want to see that. Uh, I, I didn't know what it was and I was looking around and nobody else seemed to be panicking and so I figured, well, I'll wait this out for a moment. But it was actually that we were landing in such a hot climate with the air conditioning on the plane going that, that you could just see steam filling up the entire cabin of the plane. So now, because I understand that in certain climates when that happens, now I'm able to reassure other people who are starting to panic. Sometimes we go through experiences, situations in life. They're not necessarily easy. But if we understand something of why it is happening, if we are forewarned, as the old saying goes, we can be forearmed. Over these last couple of weeks, we have been walking together through our series that we're calling Grow in Grace, this study in the New Testament letter of Second Peter. And as the Apostle Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is reminding us to keep on growing in the grace and the knowledge that is in Jesus Christ. Last week, if you were here, he was uh, uh, addressing some critics, some uh, false teachers who were saying, oh, you guys are just making this stuff up. And he reminded us, no, uh, the message that is proclaimed about Jesus Christ is not some cleverly devised myth. Uh, but there is both a, a, a prophetic witness to it and eyewitness testimony to the truth of it, and we can have great confidence in the declaration that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God who has come to bear our sins and that He is coming again. Well, as we continue that study this morning, in Second Peter, I invite you to join me in chapter 2. And what we're going to see, in a sense, is, is Peter's desire to forewarn us. You see, uh, it can be sometimes difficult as we look around and we see what quite frankly, at times can be 
great confusion within even the church. Uh, we see uh, all of these different figures who, who, who announce themselves as being something special or something important. And we wonder, how are we supposed to make sense of all these different kind of uh, sects and, 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 and uh, divisions that, that sometimes, tragically, crop up, even within the believing community of the church? So Peter, as he wrote all those years ago, shortly before his death, his martyrdom for the sake of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is reminding his readers and us today that we need to, first of all, be informed. And so he's going to explain something. And, and if we're informed, if we understand the explanation of what is happening, then we can also be encouraged. And if we are informed and encouraged, then we can also be warned that we do not fall into a dangerous pit. And so, join me if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you in the New Testament letter of Second Peter in chapter 2. If you don't have your own copy of the Bible, please know that uh, out in the lobby, we, we do have Bibles available. We'd be delighted if you would take one as a gift from us here at Springbrook. We just encourage you to bring it back week after week so that you can follow along uh, even as we walk through the biblical text Sunday by Sunday here Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read the whole chapter for us. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and, be, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man lived among them day after day. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. 
They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained for greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists, driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by their sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after having escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Wow. First of all, there's a lot in there. And secondly, this looks like heavy stuff. Peter, as he begins this chapter, is in a sense explaining to us. He's helping us to see, don't be surprised by the presence of false teachers. In fact, he points back here. First of all, uh, he's making reference to where we left off last week. He was talking there about the prophets of the Old Testament and and, and how they, they bore witness to the things that would be fulfilled in Christ. And now what he's beginning to do at the beginning of this chapter, he says, but, but listen, just as even in the times of the Old Testament, when these faithful prophets were ministering, there were also others within the community of Israel who were false prophets. And you can, you can travel through the Old Testament. You can see example after example of those who were, were proclaiming a message that was not from God, but they were announcing themselves to be prophets. He says, if that was true in the times of the Old Testament, don't be surprised if you find in your midst people who tell you that they are followers of Jesus Christ, but through their lives, it becomes evident that they don't know him. Now, this is important because, you see, it can be easy sometimes to be discouraged and overwhelmed when we see corruption and brokenness even within the church. And for some of us here, let me just make this statement. There are some and you've been checking out Christianity, and you're trying to kind of make sense of it. And it's really hard to do that because there seems to be all sorts of different people saying all sorts of different things. And how are we to know? Because every time you see a quote-unquote Christian on TV, they always go for the whack job. You know, they always go for the crazy people. 
And then there's others, and then we hear about this person, and they're committing this adultery, or this person, and they're cheating people out of all of this money. And we wonder, how are we supposed to make sense of any of this? And what Peter is reminding us, as he was reminding his readers so long ago, listen, not everybody, just, just because people show up to church, or just because people wear the badge that says Christian, does not mean that every one of them truly knows the Lord Jesus Christ and has been transformed by Him. And so he warns us, he, uh, he explains to us, don't be surprised by the presence of false teachers. And, and he shows us here the fact that uh, they seem to be, there seem to be some, even in Peter's day, who are in the church. He, he says here that they come in secretly, they bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So they seem to be inside of the church, and they seem to profess to be followers of Christ, but in reality, they are denying Him as their master. Um, This should not surprise us because actually we see this elsewhere in the New Testament as well. For example, in Titus chapter 1 verse 16, uh, there the apostle Paul is talking about this problem. He says of them, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable and disobedient. They're unfit for any good work. The Apostle John also writes about this in 1 John chapter 2. He says that there were some people, uh, the concern there was that there were people who used to be in their midst, and now they're no longer a part of it. And people are, well, what happened to them? What went wrong? And he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they... All are not of us. And the point that he's making there is we should not be surprised. Should not be surprised. But what do these people do? According to Peter here in our passage, he says, first of all, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. Quite literally, he is saying, be on guard against these people because they bring in the philosophies and ideas of the culture, and they bring them in in sort of such a subtle way that if you're not careful, the thing which is, is directing the, the affairs of the church, the thing that is directing the thinking of the people is not biblical truth, but is, is, in a sense, worldly philosophies, things that sound appealing, things that we hear everywhere. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. All sorts of different platitudes and ideas that our culture parades and yet are false and foolish. He says, of these, they not only bring in these subtle ideas, trying to blend these practices in, but he says, they entice many to follow them, even engaging in sensuality and practices leading others to blaspheme the way of Christ. They themselves have, uh, have, in a sense, denied Christ. They profess to be followers of Jesus, but they refuse to live under His truth 
under his mastery. And as such, they profess to know God, but deny him through their works. He says, we need to be careful here because they, uh, they, they are fruitful in a sense in gaining a following. There's a lot of people who follow after the ideas and the philosophies. Sometimes there's this promoting of freedom but ignoring holiness. There's elevating a false concept of the love of God while rejecting godly obedience. And so there can sometimes be an explaining away or making light of sin. And a lot of people are attracted to that. He says, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. We'll talk about this a little bit more a little bit later. But we need to be careful because there are those both inside the larger church as well as in our culture and, dare I say, within our political system who like to use a, a, a or who, who like to uh, publicly align themselves with Christ, but who do so only to exploit the people of God for their own benefit. Peter is warning, both inside the church and outside it, do not do that. Why? Because as a result of that, these people follow after them and the the name of Jesus is blasphemed in the culture because we have so aligned ourselves with ungodly people who are exploiting us. Be careful. Be careful. Jesus, by the way, also spoke on this matter to prepare his followers In Matthew chapter 13, he told them a parable. Peter himself would have heard Jesus proclaiming this. Says he, being Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then what do you want us to to go and do? Do you want us to gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them, that both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barns. A few verses later in that chapter, Jesus gives further explanation of this to his disciples, and he says, uh, the wheat here are those who are true believers within the community of faith, within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the weeds are those who for a while appear to be a part of that, but never truly are children of God. And God, in his wisdom, for reasons that we don't fully understand, Peter's going to touch on it in a moment, but but has ordained to allow the two to continue together until the harvest time, until the coming judgment. So, after giving something of an explanation, forewarned is forearmed, don't be surprised if there are false teachers, false witnesses in your midst. He says, don't be discouraged. 
Don't be discouraged because God knows how to rescue the righteous and judge the unrighteous. And again, these are words that we often feel kind of uncomfortable with. But beginning in verse 4, we see that Peter is explaining this, and he does it for the sake of encouraging you and I, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, so that we not feel overwhelmed, so that we not feel helpless. See, when we consider the corruption of false teachers, it can be so easy to become discouraged. But Peter reminds us that God is able to preserve his people and judge the ungodly. Now, it's interesting in these verses from verse 4 to 16, we see uh, over and over again the, the idea of the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous and the unrighteous. Now, Peter began this letter in chapter 1, verse 1, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, making the, the declaration to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we're, whenever we're talking about this idea of godly and ungodly or righteous and unrighteous, we are not talking about one group of people being better than another. In fact, the glorious message of the gospel is that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of God's perfect and holy standard. None of us are worthy or capable of coming before a holy God. But thanks be to God. What we could never do for ourselves, Jesus Christ has done for us. And so because of his grace, because of his mercy, you and I can come by faith, acknowledging our sin and saying, Lord, I believe in Jesus. I know that I have sinned against you, a holy God. I know that I have nothing good of myself that I can bring to you. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for, for my sins. I believe that he paid my debt. Forgive me. I want to follow you. And, and, and the message of the gospel, the good news is that, that the righteousness, the holiness, the purity of Jesus is then placed on us by faith. And so the distinction here between the righteous and the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly, is, is not so much about anything that they do. It is the fact that, that those who are righteous, those who are godly, are those who have said, I have nothing and I need a Savior. Wherever you are this morning, many of us have come to that point of acknowledging Jesus Christ, our need of Him as a Savior. But know that the invitation stands open to you, even you today, if you have never uh, recognized your need. That God is so compassionate and gracious that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you have messed up, no matter how far you have run from Him, His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness are greater still. And my prayer for each one of us is that there would not be one single person here today who would leave this place without knowing that their sins have been forgiven by a compassionate and merciful God.
Now, it's so important that we remind ourselves of this, uh, of this glorious truth because some of the stuff we're reading here about judgment, this is, this is uncomfortable stuff. But, but it is essential that we understand the peril that we are in for, for we don't recognize our need of a Savior unless we recognize there's something that we need to be saved from. And Peter, as he writes to encourage points to the fact that we have a God who knows how to rescue His people even while righteously judging those who are His enemies. And He he actually piles up for us um, some evidences that come from the Old Testament, three proofs. Now, it's, it's helpful for us if we're pretty familiar with the Old Testament. I don't have a lot of time to go to all of the detail of these, but I'll do my best to kind of give a little bit of an overview here. Uh, first of all, in, in uh, verse 4 of our passage here in Second Peter, he says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. And actually, uh, that, 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 that is kind of a, a reference to, um, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to a place of, uh, of, of punishment. Uh, it's not the, the, the final hell that we often refer to when we're talking about heaven and hell. But if God did not spare the angels when, he sinned, when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment. And and he's referring there to fallen angels. Probably this is a reference to Genesis chapter 6. There are different scholars who who disagree slightly on this, but at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, there seems to be a reference here to perhaps fallen angels who uh, um, uh, step beyond the given bounds and they, they sin and, and, and receive a, a judgment, even as they await the full judgment that is yet to come. And so there is a, a portion of the fallen angels, what we today call demons, who are, who are bound, that God has literally uh, put them in jail as they await the final judgment. And so the point that he's making here is... We know that God is able to judge because He judges the angels. And then He goes on to another one immediately afterwards. He then goes immediately to the flood. And again, this is, uh, uh, he's referring back to the book of Genesis, chapters 6 through 9, where we see uh, the flood account. And here Peter says of it, If He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so he's talking about that period there, and he's saying there were two groups in that day. There were those who were destroyed in the flood, and there were Noah and his family who were preserved in the ark that was built. And so again, he's giving us a picture here so that we can understand the point that he's making. And then he goes into a third Old Testament proof, and he points to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then to Abraham's nephew, Lot. And he says this of them, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction. And then interestingly, he says, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And so he's talking here about the fact that there will eventually come a day of swift judgment for sin. But then he goes on to points to Lot, and he refers to him as a herald of righteousness, someone who was tormented as he lived amidst the wickedness of the culture that he found himself in. And the point that 
Peter is making here as he piles up these references comes in verse 9. It says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And so, what's the encouragement that he's giving us here? On the one hand, we can sometimes be tempted to look at the brokenness and the sin and the evil in this world and to feel like God's not doing anything about it. And we become discouraged when we see that, oh, when, we, when we experience the pain of betrayal, when we, when we are hurt, when, when we turn on the news and we see the countless shootings day after day after day after day. And we become exhausted and our compassion is worn out and we wonder, how long, oh Lord? And Peter says, don't be discouraged. God is just. God is good. There is coming a day where he will rightly and justly judge all sin and all evil. So don't don't grow weary. Don't give up. He is good and he is righteous. But also, be encouraged because God knows how to, in a sense, preserve. He knows how to protect. He knows how to shield. He knows how to reward His people, even in the midst of brokenness. And He gives the example here of Lot. And some of us at different times, in different situations that we find ourselves in, may occasionally feel kind of like Lot. We feel like we are trying to honor God. We feel like we're trying to go His way. And it is exhausting when everything around us is perverted when everything around us seems to be running in completely the opposite direction and we feel alone, we feel isolated, we feel overwhelmed, we feel, what's the point? We feel like we're the only one. Peter says, don't lose heart. Be encouraged. God knows what he's doing. Keep on persevering. But he's not done addressing the situation with, uh, uh, with these, these false teachers and, 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 and preparing us to understand what's happening because he goes on in, in uh, verse 10. He says that those who are kind of under judgment, those who are leading others astray, uh, they have two particular things that are common about them. First of all, they indulge in the lust of defiling passion. That is, they chase after uh, just the things that they want out of their fleshly cravings, and they, and they despise authority. And then in verses 10 through verse 16 of our passage, he piles up one thing after the next, after the next, to explain and to unpack what he's saying there about their errors. First of all, they are those who, uh, who arrogantly claim a status that they do not have. And he talks about the fact that they, they actually blaspheme the glorious ones, referring here, we think, to, to, to angelic beings. And he's basically saying, some of these will come into your midst and they'll, they'll act like they are something greater than, the, than an angel. Uh, they, will, they will try to impress you with the status that they are claiming for themselves, but it's not given by God. That they are blasphemous in doing that. That they are stepping out from uh, uh, the identity, the, the, the position that God has assigned to them. 
More than that, they indulge in the lust of defiling passion, he says. He refers to them as, as blots and blemishes who revel in deception and who are obsessed with sin. In fact, he says uh, they have adulterous eyes. Everything they look at, they're craving after. Everything they look at, they, they, they sexualize everything. Everything becomes a lust, something to just simply be snatched for their own sinful ways. He says they have hearts that are trained in greed. They are out for themselves and only themselves He says they're like this even when they feast among you. It seems to be a reference to the fact that, hey, some of them are at your church potluck. Be aware of it. Have your eyes open that you recognize that they may seem impressive, but they are boasting about things for themselves. And he refers to them as being accursed children. And then he gives another Old Testament reference. He says they're exactly like this guy by the name of Balaam from the Old Testament. He was a uh, a foreign prophet, and he was hired by the king of Midian to curse the people of Israel. Read about this in Numbers chapter 22. It's a kind of an amusing account because when he's on his way to do this, um, uh, there's a situation in which his own donkey turns and speaks to him. And Peter's picking up on this here, and he's like, this guy thought that he was wise. This guy thought that he was special, but he had to be instructed by a donkey in order for him to understand his own error. And then, there's much more we could say about these as we move through this passage very quickly. But what he wants us to understand is, be careful, don't be deceived, for their judgment, these false teachers, is certain, and their ways are worthless. So first of all, he's explaining the situation, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you see this happening. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. God knows what he is doing. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And so in verse 17 and following, he describes them. He says, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Literally, he's saying, listen, these people sound impressive, but they make big promises and they do not deliver on them. They're waterless springs. Like when you're going through the wilderness and, 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 and you see kind of what appears to be an oasis there, you go to grab something to drink from it and you find that, that it's, it's dry. In the book of Jude, and there's some overlap, some similarity between the book of Jude and Second Peter. Uh, Jude uses a similar analogy. He talks about waterless clouds. Like you have this great big black cloud overhead, and it, it, you're sure it's going to rain, but, but it doesn't produce anything. He says they make great promises, but they, they do not deliver. And God says, utter darkness is reserved for these. But even though God's judgment will come upon them. The truth is we need to be careful because these people often in their boasting are very good at enticing the weak. And he explains that there are some who prey on young believers to try to lead them astray. I have to tell you, I've seen this in different places, not only throughout our surrounding community, but all around the world. 
people who love to swoop in wherever there seems to be a, a, a great work of God as people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who love to swoop in and try to take captive for their own benefit these young believers. So there's a warning here. They speak loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Yes. And so their, uh, their liberty, their uh, uh, promotion of, of ungodly practices, their idea of, hey, listen, you can follow Jesus and still do whatever you want, leads people astray. In fact, he describes them, and he says, be careful of them because they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves. And he says their situation is one without excuse because having a knowledge of the truth, they return to error. Having a knowledge of the truth, they return to error. It says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, then their last state has become worse than the first. In other words, he's saying, if somebody comes all the way up to an understanding of who Jesus is, of, of, of the truth of the gospel, of the salvation and the freedom that is available in him, that he is both Lord and Master, and they come all the way up to that, and then they walk away from it. He says they're actually almost in a worse situation than they were in the first place. It is better not to have known than to have come to a knowledge and then rejected, because then what else do you have? What's left? If the gospel is then presented to you again, you have already hardened yourself to it and turned from it. And so he warns in this, and he gives a pro actually two proverbs, one of them a biblical proverb, one of them uh, from probably something in the wider culture or other literature, but he quotes from Proverbs 26, 11, when he says, they are like a dog that returns to its own vomit. It's a really pleasant picture to think about before you go to lunch, but... Uh, but if you have a dog, you've seen this. They'll throw up, and then they'll wander around, and they'll come back and sniff back to it, and sometimes they'll eat what they've just thrown up. He says, such are these deceptive teachers. Be careful. Be informed. Be encouraged. And be careful that you're not deceived. As I say, there's a lot in this passage, and it's kind of a heavy text. I wish we had more time to dig into it still more deeply. But how do we move forward from this? Well, first of all, we need to beware of those who profess faith, but who bear no marks of growing in godliness. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Sometimes we misunderstand. It is not about a profession of the mouth only. It is about a testimony of a transformed life. Just because somebody says that they believe in Jesus, we should not take them at their word and ignore every other aspect of their life. Be wise. Look for fruit. A genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ always will result in a transformed life. Yes, as many of us can attest to, we are often painfully slow in that bearing of that good fruit. I know that I am in my own life but there will always be an evidence to see. Be careful. Be careful that you don't rally behind those who seek to exploit believers for their own gain. We touched on this earlier. But who by association cause the name of Christ to be blasphemed. Again, sometimes this is in the church. Sometimes people will go chasing after the latest celebrity pastor because they have this big church and this big ministry and these big events. And then everybody's really surprised when, oh, what do you know? They've just been arrested for sexual exploitation or for financial mismanagement. And we just followed them because of status, because they appeared to be impressive. And the watching world around says, look, see, those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. or as we get ready for yet another election cycle. Just want to counsel you. Be wise in choosing who you vote for and vote on the issues as you do the work, not because somebody promises that they are aligning themselves with Christ. Because there are many who seek to exploit, and who have left the church of Jesus Christ looking like a bunch of foolish idiots. And the name of Christ is blasphemed. See what those Christians are like. May we be wise and godly. Don't be discouraged or lose heart. But know that our sovereign God will sustain and preserve and rescue his people, even if we're like Lot. And for a while, may feel like we are all alone in a sea of wickedness. Keep on following after Jesus. Don't grow weary and don't give up. Keep looking to him. And indeed, how do we keep from being led astray? We do, as Peter is talking and showing us here, filter everything through Scripture. We need to ask, does what we do and those we are following lead us to greater Christ-likeness? Does what we do and those who we are following, does it lead to the glory of Christ or to the glory of people? And does what we do and those we are following, will it bring shame or will it bring honor on the day of judgment? Within the context of our book, we're reminded that therefore we are to make every effort ourselves to supplement our faith with the qualities of godliness. 
in the midst of a world where people are saying, follow me, follow me, even within the church. What do we do? Keep pursuing godliness. Keep chasing after Christ-likeness and run with those who are pursuing that same thing. Study the Scriptures. That's how we know the way of godliness in order that we would rightly understand the times in which we live so that we would not be led astray. Peter here, and we looked at it only briefly, he has referenced passage after passage after passage from the Old Testament. He's able to understand and interpret what is happening in his day because he is able to look at it through the filter of the Word of God. So, friends, know your Bible. Take time to study the Word of God. You want to know how to live godly in the midst of an ungodly world? God's given us 66 books to tell us how to do that. Don't be foolish and don't be ignorant. And finally, in all of this, keep on looking to Jesus. Peter's concern so many years ago and our concern today should be the same. It is so easy and so tempting to look at impressive people who are promoting all sorts of different things. But as for you, and as for me, keep on looking to Jesus. Beautiful stanza of a modern hymn by Ken Paul says, Let us run with perseverance, pressing forward by God's grace, looking always unto Jesus till we see him face to face. In the day when we are tempted and enticed to leave the way, let us keep our eyes on Jesus, and in him we will not stray. Father, we thank you for this sobering word this morning. And we thank you that you are a faithful and compassionate God. That you are a God who will not leave the guilty unpunished. And yet that in your grace and in your mercy, you have provided a way of rescue, even for such as us for all who will turn to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us discerning hearts and minds that we would be able to see and recognize truth from error, that you would give us courage to stand firm for Christ even when it feels like others are not, that you would encourage each one here where we feel overwhelmed and discouraged and that you would help us to come alongside and strengthen others also who are weary, that they might stay steadfast in your way. Lord, may we live in such a way that we not only ourselves keep looking to Jesus, but that through our lives that we would bear witness to a watching world, to the beauty of of who he is.
and that others would be drawn not through deceptive practices or boastful words, but through the beauty of the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for worship. darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond our creation waits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord of God we will not be moved when the earth gives way Now the silence breaks in the name of Jesus as the heavens cry like the earth respond. All creation shouts with the voice of triumph to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be moved when the earth is way.
the risen one has overcome. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us for worship this morning. I invite you to uh, come again uh, next Sunday as we continue our study as uh, Peter, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, exhorts us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me leave you again with some words from Peter, but this one from his first epistle. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion and the praise forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week.